invite you to turn into your pew Bibles to the very last book of the Bible. That would be the book of Revelation. We're going to look um, at Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. You'll find that on page 1,222. For context, though, I am going to read the entirety of chapter 6. It's not terribly long, um, just to give us some insight into what uh, chapter 7 is all about. Just a few comments, though, before we read God's Word together, though. I think it's appropriate for us to, to understand that Revelation um, can be a very mysterious and puzzling book of, of Scripture, and yet we read in the beginning that those who do read it and seek to understand it will be blessed. Um, it is a revelation that has been given to the Apostle John by Jesus Christ himself while John was in exile on the island of Patmos, um, and it contains uh, prophecies and visions that um, have puzzled readers for centuries, and yet it offers wondrous comfort and hope for those uh, who read it, understanding that God's ultimate victory over evil uh, is assured. I do think it's important as well that we, when we read the book of Revelation, that we try our best not to read it as a, a book of codes to decipher, but see it as a portrait of paintings to just kind of stand in, in, in awe of and to seek to understand uh, better. Uh, Revelation reminds us that no uh, matter how chaotic or crazy the world is, um, God is on his throne and his word will, will stand. And Revelation, and what we'll see this morning is in our text, uh, this book calls us to faithfulness in very hard times, keeping our eyes on the eternity and the triumph of our glorious Savior. Uh, this morning, what we're going to be looking at in uh, the first eight verses of chapter 7 is uh, a, a theme that has commonly been known as the church militant. And um, Lord willing, when I um, am up here in, in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll look at the remainder of chapter 7 and look at what is called the church triumphant. So this morning we'll be looking at what it means to be sealed for service in the kingdom. Let's start, though, at chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. Now I watched, this is a vision that John is, is having, now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, a seal on a scroll that he's seeing. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. 
When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and every one, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Well, now we're going to look at our text this morning and that answer to that question that was asked from the world, who can stand, is about to be answered. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we just read a lot of numbers. May we not shudder at them or be confused by such a puzzling and mysterious text, but enlighten us by your Spirit that this is your word, and that you have made it available to us to understand. May we trust that we can do so this morning, putting our faith, hope, and trust in the risen lamb who was slain that we will read of and learn about this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Congregation of Beacon Light, have you read the news lately? I think there's no question that the world around us is uh, consumed in turmoil and in chaos, and it's, it's not just out there, you know, it's right here on our very doorstep. You don't have to go too far to see how crazy this world has become. Uh, global events impact us just as they do our neighbors across the pond. And as careful students of the book of Revelation, global events wrapped in turmoil and chaos should not surprise us. Because embedded in some of these events are the judgments of God himself. 
We begin this morning with, uh, with just a two-part series, you could say, on Revelation chapter 7, uh, which follows the opening of the six seals and anticipation of God's judgment on earth. In chapter 6, as we read, we read of the four horsemen bringing conquest, uh, war, famine, and death. And we saw the souls of the martyrs crying out for justice, and we saw the world trembling under the weight of its sin and its rebellion uh, against God. And it's a, it's a frightening image to those who have never maybe seen them before of what we would call the last days. Now, when I say last days, I'm not talking about uh, just the last few years of activity on the earth before Jesus comes. But when we, when we read about the last days in Scripture, what that denotes is uh, this entire inter-advental period. So from Christ's ascension all the way to his return, we call the last days. But now, when we read chapter 7, we read a kind of an interlude that takes place between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. You could see, you know, if this was a movie, the camera panning away from this cosmic scale of judgment upon the world to this group of people that we read of, these humble followers of the Lamb. We read of 144,000 who are sealed and protected by God. Later on in chapter 7, we're going to see this uh, uncountable or innumerable multitude of every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered in worship before the throne. Uh, and these also are believers who have come through the great tribulation, washed clean by the blood of Christ. But this morning, we're going to focus on the first eight verses and on the 144,000. And as we consider this theme of judgment, as we, as we consider cataclysmic events that take place in this world around us, uh, of course, some of us, uh, a lot of us, will lose hope when we see things like this. We, and we, we may ask this very question, uh, why, am, why am I participating in this? Especially once you read the book of Revelation. If Revelation... Uh, and the judgments that we read about in the book of Revelation are rendered to the unbeliever and of him or her reaping the consequences of their sins, if that's reserved for them, then why am I participating in the effects of judgment? Well, here's a wonderful truth that we're going to explore in this message together. In the midst of cataclysmic judgment... God has not forgotten his faithful people. Those who trust in Jesus will endure through suffering and judgments that take place. And through that endurance are ushered into glory. No matter how chaotic and dangerous the world becomes, believers can take hope and find peace in the promises of God. Evil is going to prosper for a season and get worse but it will be overcome because the lamb who was slain is one day going to glorify all of his people and shepherd his flock into eternity. And he does so by sealing his people. This passage, it assures us that even amidst divine judgments uh, that happen around us, God is in control and he will mercifully preserve and protect his covenant people who were on mission. It, it points to God's faithfulness to all of his elect children. 
And the ceiling highlights that they belong to God and are under his divine protection. But protected from what exactly? That might be a question you're asking right now. Protected from what specifically? We'll find out soon enough. Um, But I am going to divide this message into two parts. If you've got a blank sheet of paper before you and you're taking notes, uh, first we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 3, at the, the four winds restrained, and then the remainder of the text we're going to look at the 12 tribes sealed. So chapter 7 of Revelation, it begins with a word that demands an explanation. John says, after this I saw. Now we did read uh, a little bit of what John saw there in chapter 6. Uh, the first uh, four seals of judgment is what um, John is particularly uh, noting here. Um, We know that commonly as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, we need to be careful with reading Revelation as if it's depicting events in a very strict chronological fashion or on a a timeline necessarily. Because Revelation, it falls into a category of scripture that we call apocalyptic literature, and that That says a whole lot that I'm not going to get into this morning, but it just means it's full of imagery and symbolism that doesn't have a literal one-to-one connotation. Um, And as apocalyptic literature, the book of Revelation, it tends to view events on earth, both from a human angle and a cosmic angle, uh, from varying perspectives and different points in time. So what we're uh, about to plunge into in Chapter 7 is not strictly immediately after all of the events in chapter 6. Let me summarize that again. When you open your Bible and you read Revelation 7, in the narrative of chapter 7, it's obviously taking place after chapter 6. We see that. But in the reality of its depiction, um, it actually precedes and comes before the events of chapter 6. In other words, the spiritual reality is that there is the sealing of the 144,000 before tribulation, before the seals of judgment we read in chapter 6. And if you were to take your pencil or, or pen and, you know, if you like to mark up the Bible that way, what you could do is in Revelation 7, 1 through 8, you could put a parenthesis. You could put brackets there because it serves as that, as a kind of a parenthesis explaining the, the divine assurance of God's safeguarding his people throughout the challenging tribulations that are going to take place. So if I were to very briefly sum that up, Revelation 6 describes all of these judgments But then we go to Revelation 7, and it says, oh, but first, uh, this is how I'm going to protect my people before those judgments take place. It's kind of, it's a parenthesis, it's a bracket. I I hope we're tracking with that this morning. And now John's vision, it encompasses four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. He's holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Now, these winds are winds of destruction ready at the very loosing of the hands of these angels to envelop the whole world. Just kind of picture a 
you know, four people holding a taut, you know, fitted sheet or something like that and just letting it go and it all kind of, you know, folding in on itself. This is how immediate judgment is going to be when the angels are given their orders to do so. Um, and that the angels stand at four corners of the earth, no doubt, signifies the, the sovereignty that they have over the whole earth, but it's a sovereignty that is given to them by God himself, because we know only God ultimately is sovereign over all things. And in, in, in the movement of these winds, it's God's sovereignty that is unfurling here, uh, showcasing his dominion and a powerful display of authority to render judgment and to restrain judgment as well. Um, there is a scholar by the name of G.K. Beale, probably one of the most prolific theologians on the book of Revelation. He makes a very good case that these four winds that we read of are, in fact, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, the four horsemen, uh, what John's seeing there, he's extracting a lot of illustrative imagery from the Old Testament that he's bringing into the book of Revelation. Uh, the four horsemen bear a very unmistakable resemblance and are clearly modeled after the apocalyptic horsemen described in the book of Zechariah, uh, chapter 6. Because the horsemen and the horses there are also recognized as being associated with the four winds of heaven. And these winds of judgment and destruction that we read of in Revelation are conquest, war, famine, and then you could combine pestilence and disease. And the angels are called to hold these winds back, to restrain them from howling upon the earth and its inhabitants. But what is the purpose of this restraint? Look at verse 2 in your Bibles. We read, Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now we're going to look at what it means to be sealed in our second point. But the point of the restraint of this judgment is clear. It is to protect the servants of God by delaying judgment until they are sealed. Now, the restraint of this judgment, it is temporary at this point of Scripture, but it will happen, and before it can commence, God's faithful people must be marked and protected. Well, what are some brief takeaways from at least just these first few verses on the four winds being restrained? I think, first of all, it's important for us to see uh, God's control over chaos. Uh, God is not distant or passive during tribulation throughout the age of the church. As our text indicates, he actively controls and restrains uh, and moderates chaos and destruction in this world. No matter how chaotic the external circumstances may be, God has a plan for everything as he fulfills his redemptive purposes on earth, and that includes judgments that take place throughout the church age. Turbulent times can be discouraging and disheartening. Um, we've seen all four horsemen, even just uh, within the past three years, conquest, war, famine, Pestilence, 
there's perhaps some noteworthy news items in there that, you know, uh, pop up in your mind that I don't have to mention. Your mind just kind of defaults to what those could be. And yet, despite these events, as believers, we can find hope in God's sovereignty over all of them. He remains in control even when the world seems out of control. And so this hope uh, helps us endure trials with perseverance, knowing that God is working out all things for the good of those who love him. And God's love for us is made manifest in his sealing us for preservation and protection. Having said that then, let's turn to our second point. Twelve tribes sealed. John continues in verse 4, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Before we move on to the identification of who exactly comprises these tribes and what the nature of their being sealed is, we do have to ask one question. Why such a very particular and strict number? Um, 144,000. Well, numbers mean a great deal in the book of Revelation, so when we do see them, we are not to just gloss over them, but do our best to understand its importance. Uh, Why so specific with that number? If you were to read Revelation chapter 21, uh, verses 12 through 14, we see a convergence taking place. We see 12 tribes of Israel. We see the 12 apostles. And what happens is they culminate in this foundational structure of the new Jerusalem. And so this symbolism of multiplying 12 by 12, resulting in the number 144, is encapsulating the unity and the entirety of all of God's people from all ages, Old Covenant and New Covenant. Moreover, what's 144? You get 144,000 by 144 times what? 1,000. When you multiply that figure by 1,000, it's elevating this concept of incredible completeness And it forces us to contemplate just the vastness of God's people through all time. So unity, 12 and 12, let's multiply by 1,000 and get a vastness of God's people from all times. That's where we get 144,000 from. Now, when looking at the list of tribes, though, uh, there are some things of note. Notice uh, who's mentioned first. We have Judah. Uh, Of course, we know that Jesus Christ descended from the tribe of Judah as the promised Messiah. We read in Genesis 49, verse 10, that when uh, Jacob slash Israel is pronouncing blessings on his 12 sons to Judah, he makes this note to him, that Judah shall be the obedience of the peoples. Other translations will say the expectation of the nations. What Paul does in the book of Romans is he alludes to that passage in Genesis by referring to the obedience of faith among all the nations which has been accomplished by Christ, the descendant of David. 
So the tribe of Judah claims its position at the top of this list as it heralds the advent of the Messiah, a regal, kingly figure who embodies the very essence of Israel. And this messianic king from the lineage of Judah, what he does is he serves as the gateway of blessing for all the nations. So it stands to reason that a noble descendant of David holding the mantle of royalty would would serve as this ideal conduit, opening the gates for all nations to partake in the bountiful blessings upon Israel. What am I saying here? Through Jesus Christ and the tribe of Judah, he is the messianic seed. He is the true Israel. And Jesus, as the messianic seed of Israel, represents all believers. That includes you and that includes me. Because we are also part of this Israelite seed, or as Galatians calls it, Abraham's offspring. In other words, all redeemed believers are portrayed here in the count of 144,000, the true Israel of God. So when you read this text in the book of Revelation, you can point your finger at the figures displayed here, and you can say that you find your identity included in Israel's number. You are included in Israel's number. We, this morning, are a part of the 144,000. Now, there is another reason for this strict uh, numbering. One scholar posits a pretty compelling argument regarding those who are numbered. And it's an argument that likens this group of people to a a formidable army. Um, One key aspect that stands out is before each of the tribes are mentioned, we hear the phrase, from the tribe of blank, from the tribe of blank, uh, which bears a striking resemblance to recurring expressions you read of in the Old Testament when a census list is written. Now, in the book of Numbers, the purpose behind such a census was to assemble a potent military force destined to undertake the task of claiming the promised land. In this light, the church itself is portrayed as an army, characterized by its being pulled from the world, a faithful remnant chosen to engage in the sacred cause of God. And this mighty force, it stands uh, prepared for battle. I'll be stealing thunder uh, for the message in a couple of weeks. Uh, But verse 14 in chapter 7 indicates how they fight and how they win this battle. And in in the same way that the Lamb from the tribe of Judah achieved victory on the cross, their triumphant path lies in an unwavering faith, in an unwavering testimony amidst suffering, ultimately prevailing over their adversary who is the devil And his legions. So we have 144,000 redeemed believers from all ages called out of the world, sealed and marked for service unto their Lord. But we got to look at the nature of this seal for a moment. What does it mean to be sealed? Well, to seal someone, it it kind of indicates this idea to authenticate to designate ownership of. And really what's included here is this idea of protection. 
If you look at verse 3 of our text, those who are sealed are called servants or bond servants. It was a common practice in the ancient world to mark slaves on their forehead uh, to indicate ownership and to whom they owed service and were thus protected by their masters. And in this world of resilience, the saints are bestowed with the strength to endure adversities, tribulations, and trials. And it's through those trials that the authenticity of their faith is revealed, showing that their faith is is resolute. We can think on the flip side. We can think of the the unmistakable distinction of an unbeliever um, and what goes on with them where we have what Revelation describes as the mark of the beast. Uh, Just as Satan leaves his malevolent mark upon his people, God also seals and marks his own. So every, every soul who has ever existed on this planet has a mark. You either have the mark of the devil himself or you have the seal of the living God. Now, I mentioned this seal of the redeemed. It marks them to be protected from those judgments that we read about earlier. Elsewhere in Revelation, we read that demonic powers are forbidden to harm those who have the seal of God on their forehead. But here's what's important to understand. Just because we're counted among the redeemed does not mean we're protected from physical harm when judgments are manifested. It is the the unwavering faith and ultimate salvation of the believer that remains shielded from sufferings and persecutions inflicted either by the cunning schemes of the devil or his agents here on earth. This divine sealing that God gives to his people, it empowers them to to confront trials with a very resolute faith, turning trials and tribulations into instruments of strength that fortify their commitment to Jesus. It is the spiritual aspect of this protection that becomes apparent when we observe that both believers and unbelievers uh, altogether experience similar physical afflictions. Christians and non-believers have both died in conquest. Christians and unbelievers have both died in the same wars. Christians and unbelievers have both perished from COVID-19. The key distinction lies in the impact that these trials have on them. For the faithful, these trials serve to purify and to refine. It's refining them like precious metals, while for the ungodly, it hardens their hearts, leading them further away from a righteous response to God's calling. While we may lose our physical lives, if you are in Christ this morning, you will never lose your spiritual life. That can be assured through the seal of the living God. That is the purpose and the function of the seal of the 144,000. Now our call to action this morning, it's, 
It's to seek solace and peace in the assurance of our identity as sealed servants of the Most High. As you journey through this life, you're going to face trials and tribulations. They may seem insurmountable. You can't get over them. And perhaps the enemy is whispering echoes in the deepest recesses of your soul that you're never going to overcome these things, uh, attempting to sow seeds of doubt and of fear. But we are called not to fear because, as our text says, we are owned and we are protected by the Almighty himself. And his mighty hand shields us from all onslaughts of darkness. This morning, you may question the faithfulness of God to you in times of despair and in times of destruction that seems to be all around us these days. Perhaps now, even this morning, you're confronted with the prospect of death. May I remind you that in the face of trial and tribulation, Satan may try to brandish his sword, uh, threatening to conquer your spirit and to shake the very core of your faith. But even so, take heart, for it is through triumphant sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you are granted power over darkness. Christ's death was not in vain, but it was a resounding blow against the forces of evil, shattering their power and their dominion over God's people. And it's with this divine assurance we find the courage to rise up, emboldened as militant, sealed servants of our Heavenly Father. As the 144,000 you, us, this morning, we are warriors of the faith, soldiers in the army of the Lord, standing tall against all of the stormy winds that seek to destroy us. But the Lord equips us with his armor that we read of in the Bible, girding us with truth, righteousness, faith, and salvation. And it's with the, the sword of truth, the very word of God, that we are ready to face the enemy and to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what you have been sealed for this morning. That is what you have been called to do this morning, to be a living, militant witness to the Prince of Peace in the face of perpetual chaos. Congregation, do not fear the hooves of the horsemen as they gallop to and fro. And they have been doing so for near 2,000 years. Find comfort in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Paul summarizes it perfectly for us in Ephesians 1.13. And he teases out here what we can expect in the rest of Revelation 7. Paul says this, In him, meaning Jesus, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a marvelous and wonderful truth that it is that you have marked out and sealed your people of all ages and of all times that we can find a common identity in Jesus Christ as the one whose blood was shed for us. 
and do, and because of his work, we can find comfort and find strength in the face of chaos, trials and tribulation, and darkness that seem to plumb the deep recesses of our soul. May we turn to the light, the great and wondrous light of Jesus Christ in the midst of these things, knowing that we are shielded and protected, albeit not necessarily physically, but, Father, spiritually from the forces of darkness, who will never be able to claim us and who will never be able to rear its head against this church. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name.